G'day everyone, another weekly update. Gee, where do I start this week? Before I started, I was like, what do I actually have of substance? And then uh, then I started listing it all down, and I realized it was actually quite a lot. Uh, g'day folks in the chat, g'day Burton, Roll, Roll, let's just go with Raven, last time Raven, epic. Uh, Burton, how's the book going? Oh, that's how, I, I didn't add the book to the list, I will put the book in the list, let me... Let me go to the list. I'm going to, oh geez, that was loud. I'm going to do the sponsor first because I've got a brand new sponsor this week and then we will go to the list. Sponsor this week is probably, now that's probably with the P-R-O-B-E-L-Y, not the, uh, not the usual English spelling. Tired of poor coverage and false positives with your DAST scanner. Reinvent web application security. Try probably today. And when I, when I have a new sponsor, I do kind of look at, how good a fit they are and are they good organizations and I, I usually get it right I have had some notable exceptions uh, this is not a notable exception but I, I did reach out to Scott Helm uh, who's also had probably as a sponsor in the past uh, and asked how they were and how the things that they do were and I, I got very very glowing reviews so uh, I, I think the the premise that they're working on here around false positives is a very important thing because most of the time when I've gone and spoken to organizations and we've talked about uh, any sort of automated analysis of software the biggest complaint i get from people is false positives so good on probably for very proactively tackling that problem and of course good on them for sponsoring me this week okay now other things clinton smith hi troy just grabbing a beer gee beer would be nice wouldn't it Hmm. look at that amazing okay uh all right burton i'll answer your question about the book it is going slowly. The The big thing that I have now achieved, I think I've done them all now, is I have written the intros and epilogues to everything, which has been a period of some months. I think there might be just one left out of the 38-ish blog posts that are going in there. The introduction to the whole thing is something that I'm still working on. I've got like a first cut, and then there's there's a like a, an epilogue to the whole thing. And... What I've got to do is I've got to read back through everything and make sure that there is continuity because originally we weren't going to put everything chronological and then as I was writing them, I was just like, it just doesn't make sense not to be chronological. So I reorged it, so I've got to make sure that I don't, I don't talk about something I've already said, which I haven't already said because now we've <laughs> changed the order. Uh, and also, as, as some of you know, there's going to be some stuff in there that is quite personal as well. And if I'm honest, I'm still finding the right tone for want of a better word i'm still deciding how much i i want to share or possibly should share at the moment too and and i think as more time goes by that position will make more sense and i i feel like i had a bit of an epiphany on that this week but uh and in fact i had a bit of an epiphany even just today thinking about how i want to explain that in the in the uh, introduction so i think i might try and take a stab at that maybe even over the weekend uh and get us close what i'd like to do because we're going to do this as a sort of a staged release and we are going to do like a v 0.1 release we might even look at you know can we do like a a single episode if you want like a single blog post with an intro and epilogue and put that out there seek some feedback from people and then use that to sort of uh, i guess modify a bit more of it before we go on so it is still progressing still working through cover we've got a proper artist <laughs> doing a cover now which is good news i think we're pretty much set on the pwned title 
But we'll look, we'll, we'll see that the whole idea of doing it as, as a beta is that we get to iterate a bit, uh, which is nice. Now, something else I actually didn't put on my list. The brake have I been pwned today? It's the first time I've broken it in quite a while. Actually, I didn't break it today. I broke it two days ago, and I only figured out today I broke it. And it was literally one character. Uh, someone had, had actually reported the plain text version of the email that comes when you sign up for notifications had uh, effectively I'd screwed up the template. And instead of actually putting... I can't remember what it was, like the value of the email address was put in like a placeholder for the email address. And in my ignorance, I went and removed the dollar sign character preceding the quoted string and just pushed it without thinking about it. La, 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 everything's fine. And then someone today was like, hey, I'm trying to sign up and I just get this error. And I'm thinking, well, obviously it's, it's, it's you because it can't be my software. We've all thought this, right? Uh, until I tried to do it myself. So, oh, there's an error. Uh, and then I start drilling into the logs. It's like, ah, oh, it's a string format exception. Like, why? Wh- what on earth would cause this? And it started, I, I went into uh, Raygun, which I haven't looked at for a while, if I'm honest, but went into the Raygun telemetry. And it's like, hey, this thing started two days ago. So ah, I pushed something two days ago. And then I went back through the, through the commit history and worked it out. So it was a bit unfortunate. But I did still capture all the registrations. It just couldn't send the email to verify them. But there is an automated process that goes back like three days later. It says, you know, you know how you signed up for that thing before and you didn't verify? Uh, maybe you should verify. So anyway, I, uh, I stuffed that up. <laughs> and that's okay. I don't mind admitting it. I find as I get older, I'm more and more comfortable to admit how much I don't know and how much stuff I frankly just screw up. Mm. Now, things I haven't screwed up. I, I spoke at Bloomberg this week and I just sharing this because someone did tweet it publicly. It was an internal talk, but someone tweeted it publicly. So I thought, okay, that's that's fine. So I, I am still doing a lot of talks, um, some of which are public, many of which are, are private. And what I've found is that particularly, I'd say particularly this year, particularly even in the last six to eight weeks, there's actually a lot of demand for this, which is, which is really interesting, the fact that everything has gone online. And I think everyone's just gotten used to it. Uh, and of course, I do do them commercially. I do do need to buy beer and jet skis and <laughs> things like that. But it's nice that there is actually uh, demand for this in an era when pretty much everything else is completely kind of changed. But yeah, the things that I would have travelled for in the past now, I I sit here. I normally don't drink beer while I'm doing them because I try to have some level of professionalism. But it's uh, it's funny how everything has just changed. Hmm. So, other things this week, and this is, a, as I think I said in the, the tweet intro, this is a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, and as such, if people have questions or anything, if we will do a bit of AMA or something here, if anyone wants to ask any questions, chuck it into the live chat on YouTube at the moment. Keeping screens together without a gap. It's one of life's mysteries. So I have the ultra-wide in front of me, which as I look at it goes out to about there. It is freaking huge. And then I've got a wide there and a wide there. And they are all Samsung screens which have the same height, but of course have different widths. The ultra-wide is like literally the same width the two of them put together. Now, for anyone that's ever had a multi-monitor setup, you'll be familiar with getting gaps between the screens. If they're different size screens, uh, then yeah, sure, that's always going to happen. But because these are the same vertical height, they sh- the, the same vertical display space, the frame on the ultrawide is a little bigger. They should be able to line up together. Now, I've also got really good 
monitor arms. I've got ergotrons, which really sort of clear the desk and get everything out of the way. But the problem is, is that if I bump the desk, and you'll see the camera move when I do that, because the camera is still mounted to the desk as well, for the moment, then the other screens and things move too. Uh, if uh, I have a, a cleaner come in once a week who cleans, uh, if they go and wipe down the desk and they bump something, like I'm looking at these two screens over here at the moment, and th there must just be like a few degrees of angle that's different, but then there's a gap down the side. Now, what's interesting is there just aren't really good solutions to this. You know what I'd do if it was me and I was Samsung and I was building these screens? I would build the screens with little clips on the back where you could just clip the screens together. Some magical kind of, maybe it involves a rubber band or something, I don't know. But I'd design them such that they could even snap together in some way and you could get, you're not going to get bezel free because you're going to have bezels between them, but at least everything would just line up perfectly. And when I set all this up, I was here with the spirit level, right? Adjusting everything perfectly. Do I have the angle right? Do I have the distance from the wall on that side and that side absolutely identical? And everything lined up perfectly. Now, uh, as, uh, as Ben has just said here in the comments, is this a 3D printing exercise? And actually, this is one of the best answers I've got. I could 3D print a little clip. I could get my vernier calipers out and I could measure it and I could figure out the angles and print something that would keep it together. I did in the past just have duct tape down the back. Duct tape, gaffer tape, very firm, thick tape. Uh, and in fact, boy, that's loud. In fact, one of the things that that's actually really good for is that it will make sure that you don't get any light through any of the gaps as well. Because one of the things that makes it obvious here is I've got the neons like bouncing off the wall and then they sort of reflect back through the gaps. So that's not a bad idea. The problem is it is painful as soon as you want to move anything. One of the best suggestions I got, and I think I might actually do this, is Velcro. So you know how you can get like Velcro with uh, a sticky back on each side. So I might get like a thin strip on the side of each monitor and then a thick strip, which will obviously be the hook as opposed to the loop side, uh, and then put that, you know, maybe get like Charlotte to hold it into place perfectly. And then I just run the Velcro strip down the back and hold everything in place after I line it all up. So I think that should hopefully iron out just the little, the little nuances there. Uh, a couple of other comments here. Ice God says, that sounds like me sitting at my TV, measuring it perfectly in the center using a measuring tape. Matt, I've been out, not just measuring tape, but like laser measuring tape. So I've got one of these um, uh, Bosch ones, which is really cool. And it measures it down to like you know, a fraction of a millimeter. And so I want that TV in just the right spot. And with these monitors, I want them to be the exact distance from the wall. And I feel like it's a good investment, right? <laughs> because you hopefully you do it once and if everything stays there in place, it's okay. Uh, okay, other comments here. Matthew says, uh, hi from the Gold Coast. Lucky you, being on the Gold Coast. Any advice for secondary kids studying training pathways, TAFE versus uni? This is one of the things that, that's, that's in my book uh, as well. So my, my story was that I went to university on the Gold Coast and I did computer science and I was never that enamored with computer science per se. I wanted to learn web development. So this was 95 when I started, which I appreciate dates myself, but it's important because in 95, there really wasn't a lot of web development happening. It was very, very early days. And ultimately I ended up self learning and ultimately ended up dropping out of university. Now, do I regret university? Well, no, because that 
that gave me something to do while I figured out what I wanted to do. And I, I think that in many ways it's the same now. Where it's like, look, this is something that might get you on the right path. Uh, TAFE, similar sort of thing in terms of it gives you something to, to focus on. It does give you some education. I really didn't learn much of use at university, but I think I drank a lot of beer. <laughs> I've had some fun. What I think is different these days to... Uh, oh geez, 26 years ago, is that we do have so much content online. And very often when people ask me about uh, entering this field, I sort of say, look, well, there's a huge amount of stuff you can learn online. So for example, people that are working in another technical field, maybe as developers, and they want to start doing InfoSec, well, go and do all the Pluralsight CEH training and go and get your CEH, your Certified Ethical Hacker. And some people are critical that that doesn't go far enough, but it, it, it is a massive foundational start, uh, and that might be the thing that gets you on track to do the other thing. The, the other th stuff that I think is really good now is that you can go to Stack Overflow and learn a lot. You can go to Stack Overflow and contribute a lot. You can go to open source projects and contribute. You can engage in forums. Uh, you can attend user groups. There are a lot of user groups online now. So you can get very involved in the community at absolutely no cost other than your time. So for me, like if it was my son asking me this now, I'd go, look, start all of that and then maybe do the university thing at the same time. And, and when you're clear of your path forward, you know, then you can follow that path. I hope that helps. Uh, and if you're interested, I, I did actually write a blog post called uh, Careers in Cybersecurity or something to that effect. So you can try Googling that. George is in uh, Johannesburg, chilly there, probably much warmer over here. What is it? It's 19 degrees here at the moment. It is winter in just over a week, <laughs> but the sun is starting to go down now. It's still very much t-shirt weather here every day. And even in the middle of winter, it's t-shirt weather here during the day. Uh, and the water's still actually quite warm. The water's about 24 degrees or something at the moment. So it's, uh, it's actually still really nice in the ocean as well. Stephen says, found some great uh, vids about InfoSec by this Aussie guy who at one point had his son use some tools to show some vulnerabilities. I don't know who that is. Wonder what became of him. I don't know. He doesn't get out much anymore. I know that much. Other things this week. CoinHive. So my CoinHive domain, my CoinHive domain. Traffic is down 39% month on month, which is fantastic. I've never been so happy to have a website fail. <laughs> so... Those of you who, uh, who may not remember, CoinHive was the domain or the service rather that used to allow people to put JavaScript-based crypto miners in other people's browsers, which was just all kinds of levels of shit. And someone gifted that to me last year and I started popping JavaScript windows on every site that embedded it a couple of months ago with the hope of people then seeing that, whether they be end users or site operators, and deciding to remove the CoinHive so the measure of success for me with this initiative is for the traffic to go down to zero. Uh, now, it'll never ultimately go down to zero, but a 39% decline on the 100-something thousand hits a day that the site was getting, I think is actually pretty solid. So hopefully that will continue to decline very rapidly. And what I'm going to do, I just put a reminder in my calendar, so every, every month I'm going to just update those stats and it would be nice to see each month just continuing to decline at very large numbers like that. Now, here's another interesting one. In fact, I only realized this because I was listening to the Risky Biz podcast this week. And if you are looking for a good podcast, Risky Biz is fantastic, uh, run by Patrick Gray, who lives not too far down that way uh, from me. 
And this is just a fantastic InfoSec podcast with loads and loads of good, useful news. A lot of things that I missed from the online things. And one of the things I missed was this story about WeLeak Info. Now, just to recap on the business model of WeLeak Info. Maybe I'll just explain <laughs> the term that was used here. Uh, have I been, because I'll find the reference to Have I Been Pwned. Whilst the website tried to mimic a legitimate service like Troy Hunt's Have I Been Pwned, in reality, the service was heavily advertised on underground cybercrime forums where its creators claimed the service could be used by threat actors to search through people's old credentials and try to hijack other online profiles where a target might have reused passwords. So I've heard it referred to many times as the shady version of Have I Been Pwned. Now, WeLeak Info wasn't the first to do this. There was leaked source before that. They got taken down a couple of years earlier. Uh, WeLeak Info got taken down early last year from memory. Turned out uh, there was one guy in the Netherlands and one guy in Ireland uh, running this together and a third unidentified person, apparently. The person who has now been sentenced because he's ultimately gone to jail is a 23 year old 23 now so when it got shut down he was at least 20 or 22 at most 22 21 uh when he started that service he was probably a teenager and one of the things and, and i appreciate this is just um massively generalizing but it's also right <laughs> is that every time i see people like trading in stolen data or standing up services like this and particularly when i see that like really brash bravado it's always young guys now they're either legally children 15 16 17 years old or young still teenagers or early 20s it is extraordinarily rare to see people fall out of the demographic i can't remember the last time i saw someone who was 30 years old for example trying on this kind of crap so anyway we leak info the uh the operators of this did get caught and and again like the whole modus operandi here was to sell the stolen data in if maybe it's entirety is not the right word to use but multiple pieces of pii for the express purpose of abusing the people in the data breach now this is a, a really uncomfortable thing because you get into into charges around things like trading and stolen identity data uh the inevitably the intent of what they intended to do with this particularly when you start advertising on criminal underground forums you know your intent is not real positive so they got shut down and this story here was just about the guy being sentenced one of the three operators of WeLeak info website sold access to hacked databases was sentenced today in the netherlands to two years in prison with one year suspended so he only has to go into prison for one year which sounds absolutely terrible now what's interesting in here is uh as we go down there's some chat logs here Subpoena orders used by law enforcement agencies to obtain information from service providers about their customers. According to the conversation, so they, the, uh, the Fed subpoenaed WhatsApp messages. Oh, no, hang on. Let me rephrase this. Days before their arrest, the two also exchanged WhatsApp messages about receiving a subpoena order from the FBI. Now, what's not clear here is how the WhatsApp messages were obtained because WhatsApp does have end-to-end -end encryption. So if I was to hazard a guess... I would say that there was a device which was obtained, seized, 
It's interesting. That I would like to see. Uh, I'd like to see a little bit more info on where that actually came from. Hmm. Anyway, let's go on. This is what's in WhatsApp. This also gives you a level, gives you an indication of the level of maturity of these guys. So here's the chat. I am going to have to censor a little bit of this. We got a subpoena from the FBI. As long as we cooperate, they won't fuck with us. They don't, or they think we're legit. Stupid N-word. Someone else here then replies, lol. Original guy replies, Wow, last time it was just a letter saying we can't do shit. This time it's an actual order from the FBI. This shit is seated. Other person, WTF. Well, we can't sign anyway. Just send them the shit they requested. Be done with it. If we just cooperate, they shouldn't bother. Original guy. Yeah, RIP the kids who think we actually delete accounts. I just marked them deleted. Phone number, lol. (laughs) I shouldn't even laugh at this. There's so much to unravel here that like the just the general maturity level of a conversation like this, again, sort of supports my earlier position about uh, very young, young people who frankly just need to grow up a bit. As we all needed to at this age, we just weren't all dealing with huge amounts of data that we're selling in order to go and steal people's identities. Uh, so there's that. The, the other bit here around <laughs> I just mark deleted records as deleted and not actually delete them. I... Oh, I can't help but laugh at it because I'm sure that this is what happens a significant number of times when you delete, I'm here quoting for the people listening to the podcast later on, delete your account from a service. So, hey, I can't log on anymore. It must be deleted. Well, yes, but when you logged on, it was just going select star from users where username equals this and password equals that and active equals yes. <laughs> you know, like this is obviously not just the domain of shady operators. But also just the the immaturity, and again, it like brings us back to the age. The immaturity to think that getting subpoenas and just handing things over to the FBI is somehow going to indemnify them is very very strange. I did find um, there was one person in comments after I shared this. I think it was I don't know if, maybe troll accounts, not the right word. An account that likes to do a lot of trolling. Uh, it was kind of funny because they're like, yeah, but you sell this data to the government. So, no, I don't. <laughs> like every government announcement, we'll talk about the Swedish government in a moment too, every government announcement literally says the government gets free access to all of this. Um, there are a small handful of commercial subscribers. I, I say that very, very often, but try not to say it often enough to be, uh, to be promotional, but enough to be transparent. Uh, and and that, that does happen. Uh, and it strikes me as odd that somehow that would then be extended to be selling data to the government. Uh, and of course, as most people know, the FBI is actually providing data to have I been pwned. Uh, they recently did so from, from data out of the Amatet botnet. And again, like the, the fundamental difference in goal here is, is the intent of the service. Now, these guys had so many indicators which indicated that intent was malicious and all they wanted to do was was monetize at the expense of those in the service which is quite the opposite to any services that get monetized for the benefit of people in there there for example there are identity theft companies that that do pay for access to data from have i been pwned now that's a good thing in so far as it gets more data uh, in front of organizations that are actually providing services for people as opposed to just trying to screw them 
We'll see how many more of these pop up. I just think it's interesting that there was leaked source, there was WeLeak info. I, I, so look, tell you what, if you're thinking of starting one of these, first of all, don't. Uh, second of all, if you do, don't put the word leak in there. Because so far, every one of these I see pop up that has the word leak. And I know there's another one as well. And I just can't remember the name of it. They get shut down. Uh, and also, don't be a dick with other people's data. All right, looking at some of the comments here. What else is happening? It's 11 degrees C in, uh, in Johannesburg. Yeah, okay. That's We do get down to that. We get down to, I think, the lowest I normally see during winter. First thing of a morning might be 6, which, which, is, which is chilly. But then it get up to high teens during the day. Hmm. Stephen says, in seriousness, a friend at work showed you a vid, and that was, for me, a turning point as a developer to start thinking about security first. That's awesome. That's really good. And I, I hope it comes through, but I really enjoy what I do with security. And I think it's a really fascinating industry. And, and for those of you that are thinking about careers in this industry, if you're not there already, like it's, it, it's massively under-resourced, and it's just growing at a huge rate. It's fascinating to look even this year at just how significant InfoSec is becoming. If we think about the situations with solar winds, the happening and stuff with Exchange, uh, the gas pipeline the other day as well. And this is just like the big ticket front page news nation state stuff. And we're not even halfway through the year yet, not even close. So it is becoming a massive area that's getting a lot more focus. And I think things like the, the directives that Biden has now passed in the US as well, forcing organizations to, to put more effort into this, uh, are going to be just even more of a boon for the industry. So it is a great time and a great place to be. And it is such a fascinating place. I love the fact that every day I get up and I've got no idea what I'm going to see. It's like something overnight, and regularly, many, many times throughout the course of a year, I'll get up in the morning, I'll go, holy shit, I never expected to see that happen. That's, that's, uh, that's way out there. And that keeps it super, super, super interesting. AK Tech says, uh, hey, mate, did you add the ubiquity breach to your website? Well, no, because I don't have it. Uh, if I did have it, yes, I would. So that there's a big difference between someone suffering a data breach and then going into Have I Been Pwned. Now, I would like to get as much data uh, as I possibly could into Have I Been Pwned. Now, there's a whole other story about the massive backlog I have that I'm slowly walking through. Walking through, working through both. The, the other thing is, as far as the ubiquity situation goes, we have seen them disclose an incident. Uh, frankly, not do a very good job of disclosing it, but I've been pretty blunt about how I feel about that in the past. But we have not seen any data circulating. Uh, we have not seen anyone uh, either attempting to sell it. I certainly haven't seen anyone attempting to sell it. We certainly haven't seen it floating around through the usual circles. But hey, if you find it, let me know. <laughs> Send it over and I'll add it. Uh, other things are happening here. Check out the uh, Hackable You podcast as well. I haven't seen that one, but the, the other one that I'd, I'd add here is um, uh, Darknet Diaries. Darknet Diaries is sensational. Uh, I do actually donate money to that each month uh, via Patreon, which is just, it's one of the very, very few things that I make regular donations to, but it's just so, so cool. Uh, and it's, Jack does a really good job of turning InfoSec into interesting stories. And I, I've been on the show, I think once, once or twice before. Uh, and, and it was very enjoyable. He's a super nice guy. And I pinged him the other day and said, what, what I really love about the show is that my kids, in fact, both my kids enjoy listening to it. And they had a, an episode recently about uh, a girl who's a physical penetration tester. So she's like literally there breaking into buildings. This episode was called Jenny. 
and and I listen to the whole thing with my son when we're in the car doing school runs and so on. And, and we get in the car and he'd say, hey, Dad, can we listen to Darknet Diaries? Which is really good. I love seeing that enthusiasm uh, from kids. So if you haven't listened to Darknet Diaries, uh, I, I love it just as much more <laughs> than my kids. And it's really, really good. So give that one a go as well. Abe says, freezing in central Queensland is anything in single figures. Now, there are, of course, parts of Queensland that do get below zero. If we go due west here uh, and we get into mountains, it gets freezing. Next month, uh, Charlotte and I are going away for a few days to a spot up in the mountains. In fact, we went there, Went there, I think, September last year. It was our first post-COVID trip. I mean, okay, post is not a good word, but first trip since the whole thing happened. Uh, and that's up in the mountains, Australia's highest non-alpine resort. That's <laughs> their claim to fame. So we're going to be there next month, which is proper winter there, and I'm sure it's going to be very, very chilly. You will see many photos from there, as I posted back in September as well. Uh, more comments here with support for Darknet Diaries. So very good. I, I, you know, I think what's super cool about that is that Jack has obviously just bankrolled this himself, stood it up out of nowhere. He's got a passion for it, and it's just become really really popular uh and i think all of us just like seeing someone you know, follow follow their dream and do a good job of it another one this is an interesting one today so uh let me actually do this a little bit opposite to what i've got in my list here i loaded a data breach today called iim jobs was it iim jobs let me see the tweet and of course after i tweeted this i realized i had to typo in the tweet uh <laughs> which of course i can't change because twitter but um, let's find, where's that Have I Been Pwned guy? He's in here somewhere. IIM Jobs, which is an Indian job portal, had 4.1 million unique email addresses exposed in 2018. Data, and there's my typo, data included names, phone numbers, geographic location, dates of birth, job titles, job applications, cover letters, and MD5 password hashes without assault, too, incidentally. So... Uh, that's not so good. There's only one thing worse than hashing your passwords with MD5 without assault. And that's storing your passwords in plain text, which brings us to the next one. <laughs> so I tweeted shortly after this, and some people might have might have figured out that I was in data breach processing mode. There is a website called dailyquiz.me. Now, someone has sent me data allegedly from dailyquiz.me. And there's about 8 million unique email addresses in there. And the first thing I do when someone sends me a data breach, particularly if it's a service I've just never heard of before, is I go to the website. And as soon as I go to dailyquiz.me, and you can do this at home yourself now, follow along. As soon as I go there, there's this little model that pops up and it says, and I'm going to read this precisely. I'm not going to get any of the words wrong. Here's what it says. Due to optional security breach, your password might have been exposed and we encourage you to update it. What the fuck is an optional security breach? How do you have an option? How do you opt out if it's optional? That's what I want to know. <laughs> so we've been breached. Would you like to be in it? Yes or no? So anyway, they've had an optional security breach. The reason the passwords might have been exposed is that there are about 12 million rows with plain text passwords. Actually, I wonder if that import over here, Interpone Passwords, finished. It did. 12,866,799 rows with the plain text passwords. It's 2021, people. Seriously. If this was 2011, we'd still look at this and go, wow, plain text. Uh, 
So anyway, at least the breach is optional. So maybe if you're in the, you're not in there. I don't know if that's how optional breaches work. But yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Jared says the breach was optional, but the hackers opted in. I think that's actually a, a, a fairly reasonable uh, explanation of it. So stay tuned for that and have I been pwned. As soon as the the last bit of processing from IIM jobs finishes, which according to my according to my script here is actually just finished, we can go through and start loading that. So I'll try and get that out probably within the next couple of hours. I've already done all the legwork. I just got to push buttons from now. Beyond that, there is just a constant backlog of additional data breaches that I'm still working through. And as I've said last week, actually, I, I do need to find ways of processing that better. Uh, and I do have ideas about that, but some of them might just take a little bit of time to put in place. Last thing I had on the list, and again, uh, feel free to ask any questions if you want to chuck any curly ones my way as well. This week, I onboarded the Swedish government to Have I Been Pwned? And this is great because I've almost covered all of Scandinavia. And in my mind, it's kind of like the Monopoly board where I get enough properties, then I got they can start putting houses on them all. I'm not quite sure if getting governments and have I been pwned works quite that way, but I've almost got all of Scandinavia. Some people are arguing that Iceland isn't Scandinavia, but anyway, an extra one. It's a Nordic country. So the only one not on there is Finland. Now, that was the 16th government. Uh, I've ended up having to actually keep a list, but I've got one, two, three, four, five, six other governments in in the queue at the moment. So things are kind of escalating a bit quickly. And look, it's not a hard thing for me. It's, it's mostly just a communications thing backwards and forwards. Uh, I draft up a blog post. Is this okay? What's your TLD? Uh, your gov TLD, that is. Are there any domains outside that TLD? Uh, a, a really good example, Australia has .gov.au. The CSIRO, which is our scientific research body, for some reason has a non.gov.au email address, but they're a government organization in scope of this service. So I have to add them separately because ultimately this is an allow list. So governments don't get the ability to go through and search for gmail.com. Good luck with that. That's going to time out. (laughs) They don't get to go and pick any other domain like that. It has to be domains that uh, either fit their TLD or that I approve and load. And I set that expectation with them up front. So there's, uh, there's half a dozen others from different parts around the world that, that are in the, in the wings here. So I think what I'm going to try and do just to try and manage my time a bit as well is do like one a week. And hopefully that doesn't just continue to increase the queue and actually churn through them. But, um, but it's cool. I'm very, very happy to see that. And it's, it's great to be able to do something useful for governments that are usually pretty hamstrung financially. They're certainly hamstrung in terms of bureaucracy. Uh, so this is why there is no paperwork and, and it's also why there is no money changing hands or things like that. It does make life very, very easy for them. All right, what else on here? Uh, Osger says, do you provide that service without any hope of compensation from Gov? Yes. Next question. <laughs> That's actually a really easy answer. I... I so here's, here's the backstory, and I have written about this before, and, and I think I've actually got some more backstory about this in my book, but I'll give you the sneak peek of it. I was in London, uh, must have been about three years ago, four years ago maybe, and I was doing a talk at Skills Matter, uh, and it was for the .NET user group there. And I remember like it was a, 
it was a massive user group. So this was just a, a free user group, free for them, free for me. I didn't make any money out of it. Just turn up and talk to people. And there were like 200 people there. It was packed. And I did my presentation and then we did Q&A for ages. And someone towards the end asked a question. It was along the lines of, isn't the government always just there to screw us? Like they just want to get all up in our cybers and take advantage of us and break our encryption and essentially said that the government is there to do nasty things to us. And I guess this was also closer to the Snowden era, for want of a better term, where we were becoming increasingly conscious of some of the nasty stuff that governments were doing. And I gave a very ingratiating response as far as my views towards government. And I said, look, it in my experience, every time I've ever met someone from government or law enforcement, they have been super, super nice people, exceedingly smart, uh, doing a very difficult job under duress, usually paid about half of what they'd get paid if they went out in private enterprise. But a lot of people are doing this because they really want to make a, a difference. And and people in government performing these, these cyber roles, for want of a better term, uh, they do make a difference. Uh, that Certainly they are in positions to make a big difference, so uh, especially compared to if you're just working in a company just trying to sell your wares. And I was very supportive of them. And afterwards, someone from the National Cybersecurity Center in the UK came up and said, uh, you know, hey, look, that was really nice. Thank you. We often don't get much, much appreciation. And in fact, in arguments I've had with people later on where, where they sort of say, look, government's always screwing stuff up or trying to screw us over, I'd sort of say to them, well, you know, what, what projects do you think the government has done well? What initiatives do you think have worked well? And they'll go, oh, I don't know. I don't know any of them. It's like, yeah, well, this is kind of the point, right? Like every time they screw something up, it's going to be on the news. It's a little bit like how many people drove safely to work today? Uh, lots of millions. Okay, and did you read about them in the news? No. All right, how many people crashed and died? Ah, oh, no, like a dozen. You see that in the news? Yeah, yeah. So, well, you, your view gets skewed. It's like shark attacks in Australia. Actually, it's bad time to say shark attacks. Like we had our first shark death of 2021 only a few days ago. But it is one for, for 2021. And the last one, I think, was late last year. But there's only... There's usually only like two or three or something like that a year in the country. Uh, meanwhile, thousands of people die on the road. Thousands, at least many hundreds. But you get what I mean. You, your views get shaped by your exposure, which is very, very understandable. But we've got to recognize that the exposure is massively skewed towards the negative and it misses out on all the positive. This is the way media works. So I was very, very ingratiating. Uh, they appreciated some kind words. And we started getting talking about, is there a way to look at the exposure of government domains via API? Because as you can imagine, a government is a little bit like a big company. They've got so many different brands. So if we think about the UK, they would have everything from, uh, everything from courts to parliamentary accounts through to local libraries. There's a really, really broad range of government services. And what we actually found is I went through Have I Been Pwned and I looked at who had already done domain searches for .gov.uk TLDs and was actively monitoring those domains. And it, let's just say it was a very healthy double-figure number. Might have even been triple-figure. Might have been triple-figure. Let's just say lots. 
And we, we kind of went, well, obviously, the, there's got to be some value here because all these people are doing this. But what's happening is you're getting all of these individuals investing their own time, doing the same thing, ultimately working for the same organization, Boris, uh, and, and they're reinvesting this effort. Plus, there's all these other departments that don't get any coverage whatsoever because they just haven't thought to go out and do it or they can't demonstrate uh, control of the domain or whatever else it may be. So why don't we just try and roll all of this up into one and it, it doesn't really change anything for me because there's no longer individuals doing a domain search. It's just like now a consolidated government entity. And it makes things much better for you because you get broader oversight of the whole thing. And that's where it all started. And and during that discussion, the contact I have at the NCSC sort of indicated that um, paperwork is not a strength in government. Expeditious paperwork is not a strength in government. Uh and I kind of went, well, why don't we just not have paperwork? You know, let's just do it via email. Would you like access to this? Yes. The only thing I wanted is I wanted to make sure that I could talk about it publicly because I wanted the transparency. Because the last thing I want is someone learning of this and then saying, Troy's given them a government backdoor. It's like, well, no, it's, not, it's, it's their own data anyway. It's not a government backdoor. So that's the only caveat with all of these. I've got to be able to write something publicly announcing it so that nobody ever turns around and goes, Troy's doing something that they haven't told us about. All right, let's look at some of the other comments here. Jared says, if you think governments are hamstrung, you should see how local government handle their data. TLDR only slightly better than a home NAS. <laughs> but, you know, to, to, to the same effect... Having spent 14 years in one of the world's largest companies, Pfizer, and seeing some of the shit people used to do there, they had the deepest of deep pockets and the difficulty of getting even small amounts of money to do simple things. Even these days, non-Pfizer-related story, the number of times people say to me, I would like to use an API key for Have I Been Pwned. You can purchase an API key for $3.50 a month. And the reason it's $3.50 is that it's a combination of covering costs and posing just enough barrier to keep the bad guys out because they generally don't like to hand over their credit cards. And also, it is a negligible amount of money. You cannot... I don't think I could buy half a decent beer for $3.50. I could buy a latte for $3.50. And the number of times people say to me, can you either invoice us? No, I'm not going to go and manually do paperwork for the sake of $3.50, for God's sake. Uh, or can you invoice this annually because it's just so hard to go through procurement processes? And I fear that what would ultimately happen is exactly what I used to do when I was back at Pfizer, pay it yourself. But at $3.50 a month, I'm not going to feel too sad if someone does end up paying it themselves and they have to miss one latte in a month. Uh, what else is in here in the comments? Kaizen00 says, Government has to handle a whole nation. It ain't easy. And people won't always agree with them. They've got to look at the bigger picture. So one of the things that was a very, very pivotal penny drop moment for me was when I went to Congress and saw a little bit behind the veneer of everything that I had seen beforehand and most people get to see uh, without getting to, to look behind the doors. And... What was interesting there is that governments have to work across so many different things. So I've, you know, often people said, all right, what's it like when you're there speaking to congressmen and congresswomen and they're asking questions and everything? You know, are they all really that stupid? I said, well, you know, what you've got to remember is 
the people that I was talking to and there's videos of online, they're asking me questions about the cyber. And then they're going to leave there and they're going to go to the next hearing about the opioid epidemic. Now, that is a massive, massive change in skill set and understanding. And then they're going to go there and they're going to do a, a hearing around, I don't know, like military funding or something like that. So these people have to be across all of these things. And the mouthpieces that you see on the TV are the ones that have to spread themselves across all of this. And they, they're usually not going to have a deep knowledge, certainly on multiple issues, maybe on one or two. But then they've got staffers behind that. And they're the people who go deep and they understand it in much better detail and then refer to my previous comments about all these people I've met having been awesome. So governments do have to look, as Kaizen Double O has said here, at a much, much bigger picture of which this is just one little part. And this is, I guess, something that's just becoming more and more apparent to me over time. Andrew says, unfortunately, the bureaucracy, still running a lot of legacy OSs, has shown itself with the hospital and NZ getting ransomed. Yes, that has not been a good a good time recently. That was another piece of news there. Um, Kaizen says, do you think that paying ransomware should be made illegal? It is in some cases, because if there are sanctions uh, against the country of which the ransomware crews come from, it should be illegal. This is one of the things we're hoping might have a bit of impact. It would be interesting, wouldn't it? I wonder what the barriers are to actually making it illegal altogether. Uh, the, the problem is, is that historically we've even had the likes of police departments <laughs> paying ransoms. And the reason they've been paying it is because it makes sense. I actually had a, a bit of an epiphany yesterday. It's one of these epiphanies where I remember where I was. I was in the car driving out of the shops. And I was listening to Risky Biz, and I was listening to a piece on how much ransomware is really upticking, and how Patrick was saying, "Look, this, you know, we might just be getting to the point where governments need to go on the offensive a bit." And he sort of commented that the reason the ransomware model still works is because there's enough understanding that if you pay the ransom, there's a good chance you'll get your data back. And I was thinking, I, I wonder if if what we really need. I'm trying to think of a way of doing this without being complete dicks. But I wonder if what we need is ransomware, quasi-ransomware crews that are actually the good guys to go around ransoming machines, having people pay for the keys, and then not delivering. Like, basically, how do you go and destroy the reputation of ransomware crews without messing with people too much, who then have to get ransomed in order to destroy the reputation? But clearly, they trade very much on brand and reputation and the... Maybe brands are on word, but a reputation of there being a strong likelihood of getting your data back. If everyone knew that it was very unlikely you'd get your data back, people would stop paying. The ROI of running ransomware scams would go absolutely down the toilet. Wouldn't it be nice to see that happen? Osgo said, what would you think if you see a legit competitor have a been pwned? I think it's cool. And in fact, in many ways, there are many legit competitors to have a been poem. I'll give you a really good example of this. There are many competitors. Let's not even say competitors because it's not like I'm losing out on business for this. But there are other services out there, other companies that will check your passwords to see if you have uh, used a password that's been in another data breach. Uh, Google does this. Apple does this. I think Microsoft does this. And very often I have people pop up and they say... Um, Hey, is is Apple using your thing? You know, because Apple's telling me my password's uh, been seen somewhere else before. And there's an easy answer to it. I, I don't know. Maybe 
the whole design of Pwn passwords in particular is to be anonymously accessible, uh, to make sure that you can either just download all the data yourself, in which case I've got no idea what happens to it, or you use the K-anonymity API, and I've got basically no idea who's using it, all I can see is volumes. So in that regard, and in fact, I think back probably about a year and a half ago, maybe a year ago, uh, Google launched their password checker. And in fact, people from Google did reach out and we had conversations together and we bounced around different ideas. And after they launched it, I'm pretty sure I tweeted and said, you know, like good on Google. Like they are in a position to reach more people than what I can, even though Pwn Passwords has hit nearly a billion times a month now. They are in a very strong position because they've got such a massive footprint by virtue of Chrome. So, okay, call them competitors because they do the same thing, but it, it doesn't cost me anything that they do the same thing and ultimately it only moves us forward in the right direction so why wouldn't i be happy about that and this is probably one of the uh one of the big observations of this whole thing what makes have i been playing so different is that because it is not driven by commercial incentive i can do what i think is right as opposed to what i think is profitable and that's why have i been playing as successful honestly like that is absolutely the heart of it now, George says, you'd be able to see IP subnets, though, wouldn't you? If I was to track it, I could see IP addresses that are making requests into Pwn passwords, and I could make I could make some assumptions about who might be requesting it. But the problem is a lot of the inbound IP addresses would inevitably be like AWS IP addresses. I'm like, well, that narrows it down, doesn't it? Um, but you're right, I could say IP addresses. I don't log them or store them anywhere other than in transient logs. I think Cloudflare keeps their enterprise logs for like an hour or something like that, and then they roll. Uh, and of course, even if I could, then I'm only seeing hash prefixes, and I can't really do anything with those anyway. All I can do is discern volumes. The only other thing that gets me at all close to that is I can go into Cloudflare and look at requests distributed by geography. Matthias says insurance companies here have stopped paying ransom fees here. So so there's one signal. Yeah, but then in other areas they do pay ransom, do pay insurances. And of course it's a competitive market. So businesses are shopping around for insurance and they see all the news about ransomware. They're like, oh, we would like some ransomware coverage, please. So look, I think that's pretty much uh, covered it. I am on track to be able to talk about something really, really big and really, really cool next week that has taken a huge amount of coordination and a lot of time. And I really hope that that does actually happen. uh, And that is something that I can talk about in this update, which would be in the morning my time next week. So that's going to be, I don't know, like let's say 10 hours-ish before this time. So hopefully I can keep that promise and talk about it then because I don't know if it's going to come to fruition i won't say any more about it but that's going to be really cool and i'm really looking forward to being able to talk about that in a week from now so thanks very much for watching uh have yourselves an awesome weekend or an awesome friday if that's where uh that's where you are in your day and i'll catch you in a week see you folks